God's presence. We see it throughout Scripture. The psalmist invites us to delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. Psalm 37, verse 4. We long for God's presence. We believe His presence is out there, somewhere. And yet, rarely do disciples of Jesus know how to seek God's presence, nor what to do once they enter into God's presence. So oftentimes, like Bruce Almighty, our attempts to engage with God end in frustration and disappointment. But what if? What if experiencing God is not just for the super spiritual or the ultra mature? What if every Christian, every Christian can learn to cultivate a greater awareness of God in the everyday? Last November, I was planning the preaching calendar for 2020. Little did I know when I settled on the summer theme of life in the presence of God that we would be in the middle of a pandemic. Little did I know we would be experiencing racial tensions unlike anything that I have seen in my lifetime. And yet, what a topic. What a topic to walk through as current events have disrupted our lives, making many more people aware of God and many more people seeking after God. So, here's my question. Do you want more of God? Do you want Him to be involved in what you do every day? Or does the thought of that frighten you? In this series on God's presence, we're going to learn to practice the presence of God in every facet of our lives. Now, by practice, I mean discerning and developing habits of awareness of God's presence. If not all day, every day, at least much more often than most of us do currently. Another psalm, Psalm 16, verse 11, it tells us this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. You see, God wants to lead us into fellowship with Him, in which we find fullness of joy. Enough, more than enough to satisfy our deepest longings. What God gives us that satisfies is life. Life that only God can provide. When we receive this life God offers, our heart, soul, body, and mind are refreshed in a way, refreshed in a way that no professional work title, no size bank account, no toy, no relationship could ever equal. In fact, it was Augustine who said, You have form, formed us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So let me ask you a question. Do you want him? Are you ready to jump into God's presence that he is ready to show you? If we want it, there's an action we must commit ourselves to. That first action is trust. This trust begins with the trust in Jesus Christ. It is the moment we realize that our trust is not in ourselves, but in Jesus. You see, without Jesus, it is impossible to draw near to God. Hebrews chapter 11, 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, not only does Jesus bring a person near to God, Jesus also gives us access to the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and verse 18 says this, You who were once far away, have been brought 
near. How is one brought near? Here's what he says. By the blood of Christ. And through Jesus, we have access to the Father, God, by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. If you don't know, if you have this trust that begins with Jesus, please, uh, those that are watching online, send us a message so someone from our ministry team can help you begin your journey with Jesus. Because only Jesus brings God's presence to us. But after trusting in Jesus, we must also have a single-mindedness. A single-mindedness to live the life God makes available to us through Jesus. Now, for a Christian to make progress in learning to live in God's presence, they must have a clear idea of what the goal is. Jesus stated it this way. Here's the goal of the Christian life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. People often want the refreshment that the life of God will bring into their lives, but they do not want to make God their number one priority in order to get it. What that's called, we as humans can sometimes wrestle with double-mindedness. Let me give you an example of what single-mindedness looks like. Uh, the renowned tenor, Luciano Pavarotti, he shared with Guidepost magazine about a time early in his life when he wrestled with a kind of double-mindedness. He says this, When I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. He urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. I took lessons from a professional tenor in my hometown of Modena, Italy. It took me as a, he took me in as a pupil. I also enrolled in a teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano, my father replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one, Pavarotti says. And he goes on to say this. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment. That's the key. We must choose one chair. What a great image. Pursuing the presence of God is about choosing one chair. Have you settled the issue of committing your life to God with a single-minded devotion? Frank Laubach, a missionary in the Philippines, uh, for years his efforts to evangelize the Philippine people, people ended in frustration and failure. Then, in 1929, he discovered what he needed the most. He needed a heart and mind that was attentive to God continuously. We could say he needed a one-chair mind. Well, in his time with God, Laubach realized that his mind was able to think about many things at once. Uh, the score of his favorite sports teams, uh, what he will do after work, a uh, disappointment or failure from childhood, an argument with his spouse, the wishes for a different job. Well, Laubach wanted his mind to be on one thing. 
He wanted to be single-minded about God, so he committed himself to an experiment for one year. He wanted to think of God every 30 minutes while he worked. Now, I know it sounds impossible, but by the end of that year, it had become such a habit for him, so much a habit that he continued it for the rest of his life. In his diary, which was later published as Letters by a Modern-Day Mystic, Laubach explains how adjusting his thinking this way took some effort at first, but it eventually became very natural to him. And it empowered him. It revolutionized his life and ministry because he was eventually, every single minute, able to live with God. Laubach said it was pretty clear that this was what Jesus was doing all day, every day. It's also clear, he said, that it's not what most of his followers have been doing. In his book, The Game with Minutes, He said that people who practice these things experience the same world as the rest of us, but they see it has a new glorious color and a far deeper meaning. That's the difference God's presence makes. Deeper meaning. How one sees the people, how one sees the world around us changes when we live it out of the awareness of God, out of God's presence with us. In a letter to his father, Laubach wondered if everyone could actually practice this mindfulness of God. Here's what he wrote. Can a laboring man successfully attain this continuous surrender to God? Can a man working in a machine pray for people all day long, talk with God all day long, and at the same time do his task efficiently? Can a merchant do business? Can an accountant keep books ceaselessly surrendered to God? Can a mother wash dishes, care for the babies, continuously talking to God? Can little children be taught to talk and listen to God inwardly all day long? Well, the answer to every one of these questions was this. He realized every person can become aware of God in this way. Kenneth Boas says this, This practice of living in Christ, intentionally being aware of God as much as we can throughout a day, it's how Christians have endured persecution. It's how Christians have found joy in unlikely circumstances. You see, it's the difference between a happy Christian and one who doesn't seem very much like Christ at all. It's the life we should all long for. End quote. Church, here's the challenge I have for you. For the next three months as we go through this series, how often do you think you can bring the Lord to your mind in one day? Let's just say you get up at 6 a.m. and you go to bed at 10.30 p.m. That's a 16 and a half hour day that you're awake. Do you think it's possible for you to think about God every 30 minutes for a total of 33 times in one day? If that's too much, maybe maybe you go once an hour. You intentionally think of God once every hour, making it 17 times in a day. Is that possible? 
Here's what I'd encourage you to do. This is what I've been practicing the last few, few weeks. And I'm going to tell you, it's hard, but it's been incredibly beneficial. I want to challenge you, whether you want to think about him every 30 minutes or every hour, take your phone, set your alarm to go off every 30 minutes or every hour. And whenever that does, it, it should prompt you, prompt you to be mindful of God. And do this until you're regularly thinking about God becomes a habit. Now, what do you do once that alarm goes off? When you think about God, have a phrase you would like to use in remembering God. Uh, one that I have been using quite often in the last few weeks as I've been trying to practice this. When my alarm goes off, I have this prayer. I say, less of me, more of you. Less of me, more of you. And that's how I begin my prayer. And then at that moment, I try to figure out what is it that I need to give up to God? And then I pray to receive God's presence and guidance and power as I do that task in front of me, whether it's spending time with my family, whether it's at work, less of me, more of you. Or maybe the Jesus prayer. You know, the tax collector prayed it in Luke chapter 18, verse 13. He said, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then pray to God. Ask him what you need at that moment. Or maybe you pray, pray the prayer that's based on the Canaanite woman going to Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verse 25. She cries out with this simple prayer, Lord, help me. So when you think of God, whatever you are doing or whatever you're faced with at that moment, turn it into a prayer. Lord, help me. Help me raise my children to love you. Lord, help me be patient with this employee I'm struggling with. Lord, help me to have wisdom in dealing with this family member. Lord, help me. And you pray that prayer when that alarm goes off as a way to enter into the presence of God. So what do you do? Set your alarm for every 30 minutes or every hour where you can be mindful of God. Have a little prayer that prompts you in how to be in the presence of God. And here's the third thing I want to challenge you with. Record your experiences in a journal or on a pad of paper. Every day at the end of it, what did God bring to your mind that day as you lived in his presence throughout the day? And just jot down a couple little sentences if you don't want to write paragraphs. But here's the thing. After three months, when you go back and you look at that journal, you're going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed at what God has shown you. So keep track of it. Keep track of it in a journal or in a notebook. John 15.4 says this, Abide in me and I in you. Church, personal revival begins when we have a single-minded focus on Jesus. Live with God at the forefront of your mind each day.